What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Today on the program, we have a very special guest for you, someone whose career I've been following and admiring from a distance. Madison Maxey is a creative technologist and entrepreneur working at the crosshairs of design and technology. She's the founder of The Crated, a studio pioneering the future of fabric and integrating technology and apparel. We're so lucky to have her with us today. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that you can follow Electric Runway on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at electric underscore runway, where we're always looking at what's new and next at the intersection of fashion and technology. And as always, you can watch what you hear on this program by checking out electricrunway.com. And now, my conversation with Madison Maxey, smart apparel and wearables woman to watch and overall girl boss. So, Maddie, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. So, when people think of fashion tech in New York, they generally think of retail tech, but characters like you and maybe Francis Batonti seem to defy this generalization. So, for people who don't have the privilege of knowing you and your work, who are you and how does your work sit at the intersection of fashion and tech? Absolutely. Um, well, my name is Maddie Massey, and I really focus on smart fabric and computational design and kind of wrap that all into the concept of creative technology. You know, smart fabric often leads to garments. And so I like to focus more on the enabling technology than necessarily on the final outcome, because I think that provides a lot of infrastructure for the space. On the computational design space or side, it's more of like personal interest in writing algorithms to generate different kinds of patterns, generative design, and that's much more of like an artistic outlet. But I um, I founded a studio called The Creative, and we've been working in this space for about three years or so, and based in Brooklyn, and I love to see how the fashion and tech spaces are growing, how smart fabric is growing, how creative tech is growing. It's all these exciting intersections. Yeah, and Brooklyn in particular has become like a hub for this. There must be something in the water there. Everyone's uh, (laughs) working in wearables or or fashion tech, so it's really exciting to keep an eye on. So to make this concrete for listeners, you worked on a very famous dress in collaboration with Zach Posen and Google. Can you tell us about that? And um, maybe also what is textile shield fabrication? Because I read this on your website that this was something that you did. And um, I'm not familiar with that term. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that project. Oh, sure. Yeah, I honestly make up a lot of terms because there aren't a lot of terms <laughs> for that, that exists. You know, when you say wearables, it can mean anything. It can mean a smartwatch or a dress with LEDs and when there isn't language for specific terms, especially generally understood language, I think we just end up making it up. I think that Todd Harple from Intel calls it soft computing over soft circuitry because that seems to make the most sense to him. But it's like there just aren't well understood words, which says a lot about the space. But as for the dress, I did a collaboration with Google and Zach Posen and we built an LED matrix that was programmed to show animations made by girls on Google's website. To show that programming is so much more than sitting in a dark terminal making infrastructure code. It can be so creative, so graphic, and really fun and interesting. And so we took the animations they made online using a program similar to Scratch called Blockly, so block-based programming. And 
put that onto the drafts, whatever animations the girls would make. So we handled everything from, you know, how many batteries do we need to how many LEDs can we power with these batteries to how do we store the data from all of these animations on a small microcontroller to the assembly. And when I say shield or textile shield fabrication, a lot of these smart garments that at least we make, and I'm sure people do differently, are tri-layer. So there's the outer layer, there's the electronic layer, or we call it like an electronic shield, similar to how you'd put a shield on an Arduino to give it extra functionality. And then there's the lining. So Zach Posen's team did the lining in the outer, and our team did the electronic layer or the textile shield. And then they come together for the runway show, which means that when we need to wash the dress, we can take out the electronic shield or we can repair it. We can have it act as its own entity. So I hope that that made things clearer and not more confusing. <laughs> no, that's really fascinating. But I just, I imagine how closely you must have been working with their team in order for everything to fit together so that at the last minute, it didn't seem like two different parts. It really looked like, you know, there was a continuity to the whole piece. So how did you work with them to make sure that it was integrated? Oh, yeah. Um, we There aren't a lot of design rules for this space. So we kind of have some design rules that we've come up with. And we sent those to that person's team. And it's things like, you know, it's really hard to put LEDs in something that's a body contrast because you have nowhere to hide anything. <laughs> so just like a set of design rules around silhouette, form, structure, material choice, and all of these things that we would need to be able to integrate something electronic into the garment. And then once they had designed the dress, they sent us the paper pattern, and we made the electronic layer from their paper pattern for the dress. So the electronics were meant to integrate perfectly into this silhouette. Um, It was definitely a collaboration, and we tested it quite a bit before the runway show to make sure that it would look like it was seamless. And isn't that interesting? You talked about a pattern. Like we think of fashion tech as wearables, like you said, or it can mean these new light up garments and circuitry, but also a pattern and the way that they were able to send you that pattern. I mean, that really is ways that technology is enabling fashion, I think. So that's really, really fascinating. I want to talk a bit about light up garments. So we'll put a picture of some of the ones that you've worked on up on Electric Runway so viewers can see what we're talking about. But it seems to me that despite the fact that light up garments and even shoes have gone mainstream, there seems to be a lot of like criticism and anxiety about them coming from the quote unquote fashion community. What are your thoughts on light up clothing? Yeah, sure. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm really interested in the enabling technology. So ways of weaving circuitry into apparel in a seamless way. That integration can support LEDs or sensors for the most part. So if the enabling technology is there, then it's not just light up garments, it's so much more. But I think that what happens in the fashion community is that because a lot of people don't know how these things are made, they see it as extremely literal. And so they see one LED garment made by a tinker in their basement, and they're like, that is all LED garments. Or they see like um, a gesture recognition glove that was used in a concert, and they're like, that is all gloves, like all smart gloves. And I think that until everybody understands the process behind these things, it's really hard to, it's really hard to see that this is just the beginning and with, you know, with really good design taste and skills, it's possible to make 
so many different things and functionalities. So I think a lot of the apprehension comes from that literal translation where you might see something on Instructables that's not pretty and think that that's what everything has to look like. And I feel like the Claire Danes dress kind of shook that up because it was just so beautiful. And people weren't used to seeing something so beautiful and elegant combined with technology. So it's exciting to see that I think that 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 view is shifting. But overall, I feel like we need to be speaking more about the core circuitry and technologies, which really do act similar to fabrics. You can make something ugly with fabric, or you can make something beautiful with fabric. And it's really about the person making it and the designer that, that changes that. So if we're not seeing it literally as a light-up dress, we're seeing it metaphorically as in this is what fabric can be in the future. What's the metaphor? What do you think it is? You'd mentioned a lot of people see it literally, like it's literally just LEDs in a dress, whereas opposed to there's the opportunity to see it metaphorically. And, you know, like personally, I read culture metaphorically. And so when I see a light-up dress, I don't just see LEDs like you were talking about. I see, ah, we're beginning to, you know, we're beginning to make our clothing come alive in a sense. And it's almost like you see the light as a metaphor for the opportunity of digital fabrication. And so I was just wondering, like, when you say a lot of people see it literally, what is the other view that they could take on it? Oh, sure. I think that's the other point. And I think to look at things with a curious eye, where it's like, how is that made? That's how it was made. Well, if that's how it was made, I can make something else that looks similar or different or did something else and coming at it from that point of investigation over that point of unmutable existence. It's similar to what you said, where it's like our clothing is coming alive. And if we look at clothing, it's meant to keep us modest, comfortable, warm, and protected from the environment. And the only thing that it does, depending on who you are, is really keep you modest. You know, the constant complaint between coworkers in an office is, oh, it's so hot. Oh, gosh, it's so cold. It makes up like half of our conversations with with other people. (laughs) And clothing, I think, could solve that problem where you're just always comfortable, which is exciting. So I think it's a metaphor for clothing coming alive. And I, I love how you said that. Yeah, it's interesting. The other metaphor that I see in it, because light-up clothing seems to cause so much anxiety in the fashion industry, I think that the other metaphor that I can see is that the light-up stuff and the electronics, and it's really a metaphor for how technology is disrupting fashion. Absolutely. Also, I'm really sorry. They're doing construction in our office, so I don't know if that is bothering you or not if you can hear that drilling no worries I thought somebody was maybe like soldering a (laughs) no I guess I guess soldering doesn't make that much noise (laughs) somebody's (laughs) building a dress (laughs) no worries Um, I hear um New York is just like a constant construction zone oh yeah yeah it absolutely is everything's always changing yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we were talking about the digital clothing as like a metaphor for the digital disruption of fashion. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. And I, I'm not sure if this is a distinction that you guys make at Electric Runway or not, but I, I was kind of like to distinguish between fashion and apparel. Where I think that most people, you know, mass volumes of people don't participate in fashion or don't like somehow feel like they're opting out, but apparel is such a a ubiquitous thing where we all just need clothing and it's a necessity. Um, So kind of looking at the apparel space as much as possible, you know, 
being able to put electronics in our apparel means that our clothing can actually do things for us. It can be useful. It can monitor us. It's, it's a base layer that's almost a second skin and bringing intelligence that second skin that everybody needs and buys is a really interesting and useful way to transition from, you know, I think how we're used to interacting with the world to what could be the next generation of interaction. And nobody could have predicted that with the smartphone. And I think that it's hard to predict exactly what it will be, but that there's something there. Yeah, it's very exciting to be watching this space. So a lot of the wearable technology that we've seen on the market, there was sort of like this hype around wearables. And now we're in this like valley of disillusionment. Um, And I've been noticing that as the hype of wearables has died down, the conversations have shifted from gadgets to garments. And so there's a lot of talk about fabric right now. This is exactly in your wheelhouse. In your opinion, what's the current state of wearable tech and where is it headed? And how does that relate to, I guess, your work? I personally think that it's really simple, easy to use use cases, things that I, I think that there was a lot of desire to connect everything to everything, where it's like, it's a shirt that connects to your house, to your phone, to your ring, to your car, and maybe that's it. But at the end of the day, I mostly want a running jacket that keeps me safe and will give me a haptic feedback buzz if there's a fast-moving object like a car nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like simple things that make our lives a little easier. It's kind of like with Google Maps. You mostly just want it to tell you where to go. You don't really need it to do something additional mm-hmm. um, aside from that functionality. So and I think that in, in the fabric space, it's hard to sort out what some of the core problems are. There's a lot of people talking about how batteries are the main problem. A lot of people talking about how the hard soft barrier is the main problem and conductors are the main problem. And yet, and we see a lot of innovation in the news, but they're so hard to purchase and they're not at a price point that's very scalable. So I'm super curious how groups like the Advanced Functional Fabrics of America and Netsflux and, you know, seeing what Fluxtronics and MAS is doing and all these groups are going to come together to really start to stabilize and standardize the space where the question is no longer what battery do I use, but like this is the battery that people use for smart garments where there start to be standards because where there are standards, then that means that creatives can really take over. Until there are standards, it's restricted largely to technologists or creative technologists, which is fun, but doesn't really make for that Cambrian explosion of optionality, which I think is important at this phase. And I mean, as for my personal work, a lot of my work started off being very, like, future feeling (laughs) or, like, light up or things that were just visibly different. And with a focus on smart fabrics as much as possible, the garments that we're creating now look like normal garments. And I think that that it's exciting that this is becoming something that people are looking at. So yeah, let's talk about the created a little bit because you mentioned it before. So uh, this is your operation where you work on smart fabrics. So what is different about your approach to smart fabrics as opposed to something on the market like Athos or like, you know, Sensoria or the Ralph Lauren's Polo Tech shirt? Oh, sure. We're not making a final product. We're not making a consumer product. And so... You, know, you can break down those garments and see what's inside of them. For something like the Sensoria sock, for example, they're doing knitted circuitry, and we're not focused on thread-based solutions, but more so ink-based solutions 
or like additional processes that are more fabric based. And for something like Beethoven's shirt, they spent years doing proprietary development to make that shirt work. So it's their own processes that aren't available to others. So our goal is really to enable the space by making smart fabric pieces and components processes that people can buy and use to make their, you know, whatever their smart garment may be a little easier to manufacture and a little more flexible. And, you know, we have a lot of work to do. I'm not saying this is a solution by any means, but this is, I think, part of the process. I'm curious about why you decided to go that route where you seem to be more open source as opposed to creating a finished product. Yeah, I think that consumers right now don't know exactly what to make of the space and that launching a brand as well as a new functionality to relate to a garment with is a lot for a consumer to take on and it's also a lot for us to take on. I really want to do things well and I really care about this industry more than I care about being a well-known designer or things like that and I think that the best way to enable the industry is to make is to make great materials and tools for it that can be launched under or like invisibly in brands that have strong reputations that consumers trust. Because when consumers trust the brand, they're more likely to take a risk on the product. And that means that our industry can grow because we can have more use cases and more adoption. You know, a lot of the one-off products that are produced are amazing and they're such hard engineering feats and I have incredible respect for everybody who does it but because they're so hard you know you often make one product and I do think that it's challenging for consumers to step away from the brand that they trust to a new brand to buy one thing and then go back to the brand that they trust Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of it's you know hoping that we can help make this space grow and also wanting to do something well and wanting to do it soon and with that I think it's really important to just hone in on what we can do well and, and soon. But yeah, that was kind of what I was expecting you to say, and I'm glad you said it. So you talked about the specific fabrics that you're creating that are around inks. And so can you talk a little bit more about like conductive ink wire replacements and how do these differ from like printed electronics? Sure. So they, they are printed electronics. Again, back to what I had on at the beginning is that there's not a lot of language around the space. So Printed electronics sound complicated and scary, I think, and you don't know exactly what you want to use it for. And our focus is really to say that, like, these are meant to replace the wires that you have in a current garment. And that connects to a flexible PCB. So you have this network of functionality. So we've named them to be literal examples of how we're first productizing. In terms of the printed electronics space, the ink that we use is our own proprietary formula, and it's stretchable and meant for conduct or direct to fabric deposition. So we really developed it with a use case in mind of working on muslin and lycra, and that's what it does. So, I mean, there are a few products out there where people do print electronics. I know a lot of them are deposited to thermoplastic polyurethane or fabric, or sorry, or plastic, and it was important to us that we could deposit to fabric. So there are lots of options. And we wanted to make something that we felt like would really solve some of the problems that I experienced in the space. And so I'm interested to know how you got to where you are, because fashion tech is made up of hybrid people, it seems. People who are neither fashion nor technology, but instead people who kind of straddle both of these worlds. How did you become to be a hybrid person? 
I started on fashion and I've always just loved to make things in it. Sometimes people ask me how I got into electronics or software from having a fashion background, but I feel like when you love when you love the geometry and structure of a textile cut into a pattern piece sewn together to make a 3D form, when you love comparing the difference between a serge seam and a French seam and it's you know, it's tensile strength and it's practicality, then you also tend to love writing like clean and elegant algorithms and love making nice solder joints. And it's really that love of making that I think drove me to want to learn to make more in other things than what I already knew how to make. And I got involved, I worked at General Assembly, which, you know, is the programming school and worked in their co-working space and met a ton of tech entrepreneurs and just fell in love with the space and learned as much as I could and continue to learn as much as I can every day because I think I think learning and growing is a really important part of staying relevant in what you said is a very hybrid space. And so you learned so you started out in fashion then you picked up coding sort of along the way. Yeah it it was very very intentional. I, I learned I took a class at General Assembly and made a commitment to myself to spend an extra three hours every day in addition to the classes practicing because you need practice and then it was really I did a residency at the school of visual arts and that was really when I got introduced to hardware and you know realized that it wasn't that hard or that different than a lot of other things that I had tried so it was it was definitely a process with a bit of an intentionality and a bit of circumstance but I think having an open-minded attitude to learning is what is what makes somebody be able to learn anything. And did you have the intention that you wanted to start something like the created and be working on smart fabrics or is that something that emerged later? Honestly, it's been such a process and I think that when I occasionally they, they are true and I'd be curious to hear your experience as well, but I feel like hindsight's twenty twenty, and people always tell stories in hindsight, especially the press. So whenever the press is writing about something, they're like, person knew they wanted X and did X and they're successful and focused. And I feel like for almost (laughs) anyone I know, person tried Z, Z failed. They tried Y, Y didn't really work. They started with A and then they kind of like wiggled their way to X and they're like, oh great, I made it. (laughs) But nobody explains that. So when I started the creative, you know, it was so nebulous and we were doing a bunch of different experiments and just like stuff in the space. And it was only really over the past year or so where I was like, okay, I want to make enabling technologies and I want to support this space and want to focus on that. And it was a process getting there and it's going to continue to be a process as we continue. I'm fairly young, so I'm 23 and I just feel like over the past three years, I've learned so much about how you actually figure out what you're doing and all of that is from often not know, knowing what I'm doing. So. <laughs> A lot of it is instinct, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I think that, you know, because I get asked a lot about being an entrepreneur and everything. A lot of it, to me, I feel like is it's instinctual at the time. And then exactly like you said, in hindsight, you can paint this neat picture. But as you're going through it, it's a little bit more scattered. So <laughs> I definitely relate to you on that. That's awesome. <laughs> Good to hear. So, uh, Maddie, you boast a string of not only awards, but also 
fellowships and residencies, you seem to be really skilled in aligning your entrepreneurial ambitions with institutions, businesses, and maker spaces. What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs looking to forge their own path while still working within existing infrastructures and networks? Oh, yeah, that's that's a great question. It's hard. I, I haven't really thought of it formulaically, but I, I feel like something that has been really useful for me is just always keeping an eye out for opportunity and always just being willing to put in a few minutes to apply for something or try something or, you know, if I see something that sounds interesting, I'll try and like hunt down the person's email address and send them an email and see what happens. And, you know, I think that getting things done is often being heads down and focused, but I described it to my friend once that, you know, in the scheme of tennis where people are throwing balls at us and we're trying to hit them back. Like every time you get an email, somebody just threw you a ball, you just try to hit it back or, you know, you get a bill and you're like, hit it back. And, you know, we're always playing defense. I try and play offense at least like 1% of the time. And that means, you know, sometimes reaching out about a new co-working space that I heard about to the director, sharing what we do, seeing if there's a way I can help. And sometimes that, results in some sort of alignment or sometimes you run into that person at a happy hour six months later and they're like yeah you're that random who emailed me and you're not as weird as I thought you were and you're like right. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say playing offense has been super helpful where even when I'm knee deep in email I always try and like shoot one off that will lead to an opportunity that's in the direction that we're going for great yeah I love that metaphor of playing tennis that's great so <laughs> Maddie, I just have a couple more questions for you before we close in on our time together. I always like to ask people in the program, what do you think fashion can learn from technology and vice versa? What do you think technology can learn from fashion? Absolutely. At, at the end of the day, I see fashion as craft. And if you if you look at the garments that Izumiyake made and anything Irish Van Herpen made, if you know, it's it's just like such heightened skill that's baffling. These people are such talented and skilled. I want to say more than craftspeople. And with that in mind, I think that technology is about the same focus and skillfulness where somebody understands their computer or their programming language or their tools of the trade so well that they can manipulate them. And I think that when we start to look at the industries around these and we're both in industries of making things and how you know coming together and being creative and developing skills help people make things better then we can start to really find overlaps about how fashion makes things on this really quick iterative cycle and so do startups and you know how much we do have in common and how much we can learn from each other in the space so it's not as much something tangible but with making like a common foundation, which I think there's so much there, we can really start to grow together. And that's really important. Interesting. Yeah. Very good. Well, Amadi, how can people stay in touch with you and follow your work at The Created and what you're doing? Absolutely. Well, I will give you guys a little insight where we're rebranding The Created. So the name will be Lumia soon. So um, you can either email me at maddie at thecreative.com or in a few weeks email me at maddie at lumia.co and if you forget either one I think my email's on my website so please feel free to reach out and 
I can find you on social media. Just keep in touch, I guess. Yeah, we'll definitely put links on Electric Runway. I hear that uh, New York construction again, so we'll let you go. But Maddie, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. All right, great. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with Maddie Maxey. We're going to miss you next week since we'll be in the Black Rock Desert. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for our vlog on fashion tech at Burning Man. For all past videos and episodes of this program, visit electricrunway.com. And once again, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at electric underscore runway. That's it for today's episode. Here's looking towards the future. Music from today's episode by Daniel Zambo.